All right, this is a fifth Sunday where the, so the children who are normally in Sunday school this service are not, and so they're, they're actually here among us. Probably, it doesn't look like as many as first service, but I want to invite, if you're here, if you're from K, K to 6, kindergarten to 6th grade, I want you guys to come up. So any children that are here, kindergarten to 6th grade, come on up. We want to talk about something. As they are coming up, yeah, parents, send them on up. As they're coming up this morning, if you didn't get it, we do have for the children kind of a kit some stuff they can do that fits the topic of what we're doing this morning that's back in the baskets on the table. Come, guys, come have a seat up here, right here. We can get a few more over here. Okay, still pretty good. Man, we were really packed this morning. So I have I have a question for you guys. I've got some Band-Aids here. Have any of you ever... Uh, fallen down and like you scraped or you hit your elbow on the ground, you hurt your elbow. Anybody here ever have that happen? Jordy, you've had that happen? Like just one? How many, have you guys ever hurt your elbow? Ever? Like, okay, since Jordy said that, Jordy, I'm gonna, I wanna help you, man. Uh, I've got a Band-Aid for you. So I think we've all had that happen. I had that happen more than you wanna know when I was a kid. So here, Jordy, I've got a Band-Aid for you. Can I see your elbow? Yeah, right there. Oh, I can see. Dude, you got like a scar. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you guys a question. Like, if, if ever you fell down and hurt your elbow, like, did your mom put a Band-Aid on you? Have you guys ever had that happen? Or give you a Band-Aid, right? Did she also, like, have everybody in the family put a Band-Aid on their elbow at the same time? Have you ever seen that happen? Like, that would be a little bit crazy, wouldn't it? If your mom made everybody put it. Hey, anybody here ever fall down and hurt your knee? Anybody ever skin their knee? Or you have? Have you recently? <laughs> it looks like you have. <laughs> I'll say, whoa, that's, okay, I've got a Band-Aid for that here. Uh, can I see your elbow? Yeah. Oh, it's also on your elbow. Okay, well, we'll do that. Like, have you ever, like, if you skin your knee and your mom wants to put a Band-Aid on your elbow, wouldn't you think, mom, like, that's crazy? I hurt my knee, not my, not my elbow, right? Or if you hurt your knee, does your mom put a Band-Aid on you and everybody in the family gets a Band-Aid on their knee? Yes. Yeah, what, right? That would never happen, okay? Because the whole point of putting the Band-Aids on is you need help and your mom's trying to meet a need and not everybody needs a Band-Aid at that time, right? So here's, here's kind of what I'm saying with all that. Sometimes as children, your parents, maybe they'll do something for one of your brothers or sisters, but they don't do it for you. And you can a little bit feel like, well, that's not fair. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, well, they're not being fair. And what I want you to realize is sometimes you don't really know this, but your parents know that maybe that child, that's a need that they have, and not everybody else, including you, doesn't need that at that time. And it would be like putting a Band-Aid on everybody when only one person needs it. So I just want to remind you guys that sometimes your parents will give something to one of your siblings and maybe you won't get it or you won't get it in the same way or at the same time and it isn't because they're being unfair or they don't love you or they don't care about you but it's because they know that that child has a need and they're just trying to kind of hit that specific need. So it's actually that way with God and the whole thing we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of contentment. That's a big word. You guys know the word content. If you're content, it means you're happy in the situation you're in that you're not upset about it. And so I really want to encourage you guys that, to trust your mom and dad, trust that they know what they're doing, and to try to be content when they're giving something to somebody, your brother and sister, and you're not getting the same thing, but maybe they know or understand something you guys don't. 
So anyways, to be fair, I'm going to give everybody one of these. So you guys have been great. Why don't you come grab one of these fruit snacks, and you can take it to the seat with you. If you've got a, a brother or sister who's out there, well, we're not going to give them one because I'm not fair. No, if you've got a brother and sister, you can take one <laughs> to them too. But go ahead, grab one, go back to your seats. I ran out first service. If I run out this service, I promise I will come find me and I will find more. But I think we should be okay. Cora, I don't know. I'm thinking your brothers desperately need fruit snacks. What do you think? No? <laughs> Whoa, you guys cleaned me out. Okay. Good job. All right. Thanks for... Uh, letting me do that. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, a text that I struggled with for a long time and a tough one um, this week, man, this was a wrestle with the text, and I was kind of wondering, why do I keep picking these? But it's stuff that, I, there's a really a great thing that I think Paul's doing. So I want you to turn 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in your Bible. I'm actually going to have it up on the screen. We're going to read together. But as 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to be in verses 17 to 24. Um, if you don't mind, why don't you stand with me? We're going to read together on the screen. And as you stand, let me say a quick thing. We are in 1 Corinthians. If you weren't here last week, I do have a diagram of 1 Corinthians. I always like to know what's going on with the book. And this week in chapter 7, we're actually dealing with the first problem the church in Corinth had written Paul about. They were asking questions, and it's about marriage. And so we're in the, we're in the context of that. And just to let you know, as we read this today, it's, this text is in the form of a Big Mac. It's in the form of a Big Mac. If you look for it, you'll see it. He's going to say a general principle at the very beginning. He's going to say it again in the middle, and he's going to say it again at the end. And between those three layers, he's going to have two examples that illustrate the principle and that go into them. So just as you know, as we're reading this, if you can imagine that we're working our way to a spiritual Big Mac, okay? So if you would... Uh, yeah, so that's what it is, the general principle, three times the example. So would you join in reading the word of God with me? So verse 17, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain, sorry, there we go. Ready? Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought with at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And this is the word of the Lord. And so you may be seated. 
that's really small, and I don't expect you to, uh, to be able to read that, but I want to read to you verse 17, verse 20, and 24, the general principle, kind of those three layers of the, of the bread, if you don't mind, in our Big Mac today. And I just want you to listen to them. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Brothers and sisters, each person, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear. So basically what Paul's saying is, if you don't like the situation you're in, get over it. You're stuck. God puts you there. And by the way, slavery is a fine institution. We're just going to leave it alone. And that's it. We're done. We get to go to Applebee's early today. It takes forever to get food at Applebee's right now because of that. So uh, I decided I'd let you guys go early. I mean, at first glance, that's kind of what it looks like, right? It's like you're stuck and God puts you there and just get over it. Um, but what I want to do is I want to look more deeply into this because there's actually more that's going on than that first blush when you read that. And that's kind of the first thing that strikes you. At least the first time I encountered this text, that's what struck me. First, I want to talk about context. We're in 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul is dealing with a very important issue. They are struggling with marriage and singleness in the church, and they have written and asked him some questions about it. And here's what was going on in their situation. A lot of them have become new believers. A lot of them who are married become a new believer. They become a part of this community, but their spouse, their husband, and their wife is still not a believer. Or a lot of them are single, and they're just dying to get married, or they're married, and they're like, I wish I were single. And, but especially that situation of a, a person who's married to an unbelieving spouse. And they were taking their freedom in Christ, and it appears what the, a lot of the Corinthians were doing is they were actually divorcing that spouse so they could find somebody that was a believer. And so Paul is really specifically dealing with that issue of those people who are looking to get out of a marriage that was not maybe what they wanted when they came, into, came to Jesus. So that's, that's a lot of what Paul is dealing with. And then this, this passage is his way of kind of laying down an important principle related to that. But again, the theme, the, the principle, those three verses I, I just read, is this, that we are to faithfully live out our Christian life in the situation where you find yourself at your conversion. That's what he's saying. The situation you find yourself at your conversion, faithfully live out your life in that place. The reason I say a conversion is he says the word called occurs eight times in this text. It's really important. And he keeps saying, stay in the place where, where God called you. And we know from earlier in Corinthians, when Paul talks about calling, he's talking about being called into saving faith with Jesus. So what he's talking about is their conversion. If you look at verse 22, it's really specifically clear. For the one who was a slave, when called to faith in the Lord. So he's specifically saying, be faithfully live out your Christian life in the situation you find yourself at your conversion. Stay as you were when you became a believer, don't seek a way out. Um, he's not talking about sinful situations. He's just talking about kind of life situations. And that's the general principle. Um, now, before getting more deeply into this, let me tell you two things Paul is not saying that will become clear. Number one, he's not saying in this text to have an attitude of passive resignation to your life. Just Okay, sarah, sarah, what will be, will be. That's not what he's saying. It's just resign yourself to your situation. Um, Stoicism was a huge philosophy at that time in the Greco-Roman world. And Stoicism was the, was the belief that everything in your life is predetermined. And because it's predetermined, 
and you can't change your situation in life, all you do, what you need to do is just detach yourself emotionally, just become disattached, disengaged, don't fall in love with anybody, don't love your job, don't love anything. If you become disattached emotionally, you just live life kind of flat, kind of on a flat uh, emotional level and don't get too involved into things because when the pain and difficulty of life comes, then you won't be hurt. It was, it's, it's what Buddhism is. It's a, it was an older form. It was kind of a Greek form of, of Buddhism. Paul's not talking about that. I think that's going to become clear in a minute if you hang with me. The other thing that Paul's not talking about is to me what's the bigger question when I read this text. Um, and my question was this. Is Paul really saying I can never change my life station? Is, really, is that really what he's saying? I mean, that's so un-American, right? To not change your life station. Is, Paul, is what he's really saying is... is is that he's laying down this hard and fast rule that I cannot change anything in my life, that I'm forever locked into it, that if I'm in a bad situation, I can't try to get out, or um, if, I'm, if I can better myself, that I can't do that. Is that really what Paul is saying? Is that his whole point? And I want to tell you that that's not what he's talking about. He is giving a general principle to the question they asked related to marriage, and it's an important principle, but that's not, it's not absolute for him. And I'll tell you three reasons why I know this is not an absolute principle for Paul. Number one, because in chapter 7, he gives quite a lot of principles in relation to their marriage questions, and he gives quite a few exceptions all through chapter 7 to what he's talking about. So he's already kind of giving some exceptions. Secondly, Paul had Titus, who was a Greek, he had him circumcised after he converted, which seems in total contradiction to verse 18. So Paul himself doesn't see this as this total absolute you have to live into because he actually did something contrary to this. But the most important reason I know this is not a total absolute is verse 21. Really, really important part of this text where he says, he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, I want you to do so. So if you can gain your freedom, do so. And that's significant. So he's not saying you have to stay there forever that if you have the ability to get out, do that. In a minute, I want to tell you how they could get out. But the Greek in that is really, really strong. Um, it, it, it means in Greek, like, if you get that opportunity, by all means, take it. It's really strong. So he's not giving this total absolute thing. He's not opposed to a person changing their life situation. This principle was never tended as an outright absolute. So the question I was really wrestling with, if that's not what Paul's saying, if this, he's not making this absolute, then what's Paul really saying in this text? And what he's really saying is actually if, I think the hamburger thing comes back up, what he's really saying in this text, the most important, isn't in that principle. It's not in those three layers of the breading. What he's really saying is actually found in the meat. It's in the two examples he's going to give. The example of the circumcised and the uncircumcised and the example of the, of the slave. That's really where Paul is going to get, that's really where we're going to see what Paul's talking about. And what we're going to see there is that Paul is saying um, that a person's primary focus should not be on their outward circumstance, but it should be upon their heart. And I think in a minute as we walk through the hamburger part of this, that that's going to become really clear that that's what Paul's driving at. Let me say two things. Let me talk very briefly about circumcision, uncircumcision, and slavery in the Roman world so you understand what's going on. Because he says, if you're circumcised, don't seek to be un, or, you know, you read it. Um, circumcision was actually a big deal in the Greco-Roman world. Jewish people had spread all over the Greco-Roman world. They were a despised minority group, and one of the things they were despised about is that their men were circumcised. And the Greeks and Romans thought they were crazy for doing that. 
Um, and so there was a lot of pressure. If you were a Jewish person, there was a lot of cultural pressure to hide that. Uh, or even if you were a Jewish convert to Jesus, there was that cultural pressure to hide that fact. And we know from some writings at the time of Jesus that there were Jewish people who were having surgery done to, to reverse that. They were having pig foreskins transplanted, sewn on. I can't imagine what that was like. But there were people who were actually seeking to reverse that. And we also know that the reverse was happening in the churches. As Greek or Roman people were becoming followers of Jesus, coming in the church, there were a lot of Jewish converts who felt like you really weren't saved unless you were circumcised. So there was a lot of pressure being put on the Greek and Romans who became followers of Jesus that they needed to be circumcised to really belong. So that actually was a big issue then. And then he brings up his second example is going to be the issue of slavery. And just at some point, I want to I go through Paul and hit all he says about this because Paul was a very radical person um, on this. And um, I don't have time to get into that this morning. But I do want to say this, that slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than slavery as we think of it. When I see the word slave, I think of antebellum, agricultural, racial slavery in the deep south back in before the Civil War and during that time. That's what I think of. And that's not what's going on in the Greco-Roman world. Um, in their world, one-third of the population were slaves. And slaves for them, it wasn't about a race was enslaved. It isn't like they're going to a certain part of the world and enslaving people and bringing them into Rome or the empire to work. Anybody in the empire could become a slave. Julius Caesar was a slave before he became the highest person in their culture. Um, Anybody could become a slave. There were, if you were a senator and a new Caesar came into power and you were on the wrong side of things, he frequently would put those people into slavery, would sell them into slavery. There were a lot of ways. If you were indebted to somebody, you would sell yourself into slavery to pay off that debt. You would, take, you would sell yourself, give the money to them, and then try to pay off your debt. You could sell your whole family into slavery. That was really very common. So slavery for them was really different. A couple of things about, more things about slavery. Especially, um, so let me talk about first, um, while I was, no, let me talk first about what an urban slave was like that Paul would have encountered in Corinth and was probably in that church. Most of them were people who were what were called household slaves. They had sold themselves to, a, to an individual and frequently they were running that individual's business. So a lot of them were artisans, they were blacksmiths, they were, there were a lot of trades that they would be doing for that person. They could start their own business on the side and save money and then eventually buy their freedom back. It was very common for them to buy their freedom back. Many times they were actually running the household. They were educating the children. They could actually work in the local government. So it, it was a very different kind of thing than we think of. So in Paul's writing to slaves in Corinth, again, don't, don't think back in the deep south because that's a different situation than what Paul, Paul is facing. So I wish I could say a lot more about that, but... We need to jump into the text. So with that being said, I really want to look, I really want to get into the meat of the issue. Uh, for those of you for, from my generation, it's like, Paul, show me the beef, right? Paul, show me the beef. If you're younger than I am, which is probably a lot of you, that means nothing but to some of us. To those that are laughing, that's pretty funny, right? Uh, so here's what I want to do. Let's dig into those two examples. So I want to look at verse 19. He's talking to people. He says, if you're circumcised, when you come to Jesus, don't seek to be uncircumcised. If you're un, don't seek to be circumcised. And in verse 19, here's what he says. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. 
That's a really important statement for Paul because in an earlier letter that he wrote to the Galatian Christians that's already circling, that's circulating among the Mediterranean world, um, he actually said this in Galatians 6.15 where he said to them, um, he said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. This is really important in Paul's thought, theology and how he thinks of Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says that if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so when Paul says that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision, what he's saying is, is that outward circumstance, when you come to Jesus, you find yourself in, that's not what matters. What matters is new creation, that you yourself are actually a new creation. And then that's why then the rest of verse 19, he says, keeping God's commands, that's what counts. What God is looking for isn't so much he's not looking at your situation, he's looking at your heart. You're a new creation. Are you committed to loving him passionately, to, follow him, to following him, to doing the things that he says. And then if we jump down to the part related to the slaves, which is even more profound um, in my mind in chapter 21, I mean in verse 21. And here's what he says um, to the slaves, which is really interesting because in the other two he says, if you find yourself in this place, like don't strive to get out. But he says something totally different here in verse 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Instead of saying remain in it, he just says don't let it trouble you. Um, he's kind of shifting, not he's even shifting focus. I think this is what Paul's really getting at. The New King James Version says, don't, let it, don't be concerned about it, or the good, God's Word translation, don't let it bother you. Um, what Paul's saying is, is don't worry about that life situation. What matters is you have new life in Jesus. Um, you're saved and you're in him, and the outward circumstances are not the main thing. The main thing is that inward reality. So quit constantly being troubled and worried about the life situation you're in and trying to get out of that and focus instead on what's, what's happened to you internally. And that's why verse 22 is important. And let's not forget, and he tells them, don't let it trouble you. Sure, save your money. You're working the side job, which was common. Save the money. Buy your freedom. That's okay. But while you're in it, don't let yourself be troubled by it. And then verse 22, he says something that's very, very profound. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. I love Philip's translation. A slave who is called to life in Christ is set free in the eyes of God. And here's what he's saying is, you've come to Jesus. There is a much deeper reality than your life condition right now that's true about you. And that you are in Jesus, you've been saved by him, you are now his child, and you have been set free by him. You're set free from sin, from Satan, and from death. John 8, 36, Jesus says that if the Son sets you free, you are truly free indeed. And you're filled with the Spirit of God. And in 2 Corinthians three seventeen, he says of the Spirit of God, he says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. And so he's reminding them, when you came to Jesus, you became a free person in him. So live into that internal freedom. And then Paul turns and speaks briefly to those in the church who were free people. And I love what he says to them. Similarly, the one who was free when called, you're Christ's slave. You're Christ's slave. I love what Paul's doing here. Do you see what he's doing here? He's showing the great reversal of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. What Jordan and I talked about last week, the upside down kingdom. He's like, you find yourself situationally as a slave in the Roman Empire. I want you to know that in Jesus, you are a free person. That is the ultimate reality about you. And you're a free person in your situation. I want you to know the ultimate reality about you. You're a slave of Jesus. 
And he, he's kind of showing a reversal to what God in his kingdom does. And then in verse 23, he says this, you were bought with a price. That you is plural. Two weeks ago, we talked about that. Somebody said, yeah, we should translate that y'all, right? So he's saying, hey, y'all, all of you were bought at a price. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, early in the book, he said, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. He gave everything for me to purchase me for himself. So whether slave or free in that church, they, we all equally belong to the Lord. We're equally as children and we equally are all servants of him, all of us. All of us belong to him and we should be committed, every single one of us, to serving him first and foremost in our life. That should be the most important thing about us. I love this whole section in here. I mean, I've been reflecting on this a long time, thinking about a lot this week. I hope, you're, I hope you really get what Paul's doing because he is really doing this great leveling that happens in Jesus that I love. That your circumstance doesn't matter, that when you come to him, maybe socially there's this stratification of who's important, who's not. He's like showing in Jesus, we're all equal, and he's, he's doing this really amazing leveling. And that's why a lot of scholars have written about this and about Paul. And that by focusing on the intrinsic value of each human being, slave or free, on the heart attitude that everybody who follows Jesus is to have in their life situation, that Paul was actually planting the seeds that would eventually get rid of slavery out of the Roman Empire. That came from the Jesus community. It didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from anybody else. So he is actually, by this leveling and the great reversal that happens in Jesus and saying, we're all free in him. We're his sons and daughters. We're heirs of him, that he was leveling things. And that was the seeds that would actually get rid of slavery in that empire. And then verse 23, the, the very end of it, he says, do not become slaves of human beings. That's how he finishes this section. He ends by reminding them that you, though free in Jesus, can still be slaves of people or of your circumstances if you allow it. If your focus is on that outward thing, if your focus is on the condition you were called into, you're actually going to be a slave in that situation. So let's not be slaves there. So I hope you see what Paul is getting at in this. I hope it's getting communicated. That it's possible to be free outwardly, but to be in bondage internally. Do you know that? I think we all know that. We're going to talk in a minute about that. It is free to be, it's possible to be free outwardly in my circumstances, but to be in bondage internally. And I think he is giving a general principle that's important. Stay where you find yourself at conversion. But he's saying something much, much more profound. And as I sat down this week and tried to write out what Paul is saying in the, the beef part of this, here's, here's my words of what he's saying. Your external state is not of first importance. Your relationship to the Lord is what's of first importance. So don't make the primary focus of your life your outward circumstances. Rather than obsessively trying to get out of a circumstance you find yourself in, find a new significance in it by seeing yourself and that situation through the eyes of God. I'm a child of God. I'm one in whom he dwells. He is present in me, and I have been set free. I have been set free. And that calling in Jesus, it eclipses whatever situation I may find myself in. And if I will allow it, that reality of who I am can transform the situation in which I find myself. God is fully capable of working in my current situation for his purposes. And what that means is his, as his ambassador, I can fully serve Christ as Lord and I can advance his kingdom no matter where I'm at. 
no matter where I'm at. Is that not very profound? That's really what Paul's getting at in this, is what he's saying. He's talking about what is true liberation. And true liberation isn't getting out of a life circumstance. True liberation is liberation of the heart. And how do I perceive the place where I find myself? Two examples of this. Um, this summer, we did that focus on the persecuted church, if you were here. And I talked about Joseph Tan from Romania, the pastor that I met in seminary, who had been in prison multiple times for his faith, for pre continuing to preach the gospel under that communist rule, but also that his church was distributing cassette tracks of his teaching all around the country through an underground network, and they were trying to get him to stop and imprison him multiple times. And when I heard Joseph Tan talk that day, he was talking about any time he was in prison, how he would use that to reach out to the prisoners, the people who actually imprisoned him. And he said something very profound I never forgot. Is he said, probably most people would see themselves as being in a prison. He said, I saw myself as being in a place of ministry. Isn't that profound? See, that's a person who's been liberated in their heart and who can serve Jesus no matter where they are. Another example is Eric Little, a famous Scotsman. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Really great movie, and it's about his life, and his faith is in that, but they, he won an Olympic medal. It's a really great story, but they leave out two most important parts of his life, that he grew up in China. His parents were missionaries in China, and after he had finished the Olympics, he, go, he went himself, went back to China, and became a missionary, and he was there while, when the Japanese invaded China, and he was captured, and he was put in a prison camp in Shanghai, and if you read about the conditions in that prison camp, they were deplorable. But Eric Little, the whole time he was there, saw it as a place of ministry. And I don't have time to go into all the ways that he was a blessing to the people of there. But the, the thing that is most profound to me is that Eric Little actually named that prison camp that he was in the Courtyard of the Happy Way. The Courtyard of the Happy Way. The only person that can do that is a person who's been internally liberated by Jesus and who says, I can follow and serve him as a free person in Jesus no matter where I am. So Paul's primary concern in this text is not to insist that people must reign in their remain in their present circumstance. That's not his primary concern. But it's that we recognize that place is a place where we can faithfully and joyfully serve God and we can live out our call. He's saying that a person can serve God anywhere in life no matter the circumstances and you don't have to leave your current situation to find meaning and joy and contentment. You do not have to escape that circumstance to find meaning and joy and contentment. And so really, to me, this text is all about contentment. That's what Paul is talking about. Challenging us, encouraging us, live contentedly in whatever place we find ourselves. Jeremy Burroughs, who wrote a great, it's supposed to be a pamphlet, several hundred pages long, it would be a book, um, a Puritan on contentment to find contentment this way. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's what I was calling the children to up here, right? If a sibling gets a Band-Aid and they don't, for them to trust that their parents love and care for them and for them to have a sweet spirit in that and to and try to understand that I don't get it, uh, if you're like me, I'm probably the only one here <laughs> who thinks sometimes if I could only change that external circumstance, I'd be happy. If I could just get out of this, 
then life would be great. Am I the only one who thinks that way? Am I the only one who struggles? I mean, that tends to be my first way of thinking. That's my frame of reference. Um, I mean, we've all seen it, right? We probably experienced it. Somebody who's leaving a job situation because there's junk in it and stuff they don't like, and they find it and get in a new job, which they are convinced the grass is going to be a lot greener on that side. And then about a month in, when you talk to them, there's a lot of junk in that job, and they're not happy in that job, right? I mean, and some of us, we've had that happen, I think, in our lives. And, and the reason that's so true is that whole principle that wherever you go, there you are. And if you've got a heart of discontent, it doesn't matter what circumstance God puts you in. If you've got a heart of discontent, you're going to be discontent with something. But if you've got a heart that's liberated, if that's who you are, wherever you go, there you are. And you bring that liberation in Jesus into every circumstance. Uh, that's such a profound thing. And I want to tell you, it is so stinking easy to focus on the external, isn't it? It is so easy. I think everything in our culture drives us that way. Because our culture is all about, it's very super transient. We live in a throwaway society where everything is disposable. So if you don't like your wife, you just get rid of her and you get a new one, right? You don't like your husband, you get rid of him and you get a new one. You don't like your job, you just find another one. You don't like the town you're in, you just move. Um, there's that, we just see that so much in our culture. And everything in our culture is pushing us towards that. That we chafe against circumstances. And what Paul is calling believers here to and calling me to is quit chafing at your circumstances. And learn to live content in who you are in Jesus no matter where you are. When I think of contentment, I think it flows from two things. One is a sense of gratitude. Is can I be thankful to God with with the things that are in that, because I think we lose sight of that. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but Paul does say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all things. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So gratitude to me is foundational. But the, the main thing I want to get at today is I think what Paul's saying. That Paul's saying we need to reframe the situation. We need to see it from a new perspective. Quit focusing on the circumstance and focus on the inward reality of who you are in Jesus. He's your Lord and Savior he lives in you, and you are set free in him. And if I will do that, if I will have that focus on that greater spiritual reality and not on my circumstances, then I will find genuine freedom. Because genuine freedom only comes out of contentment. I mean, I think we know this, but you know it's possible to be free no matter the circumstance. Our culture wouldn't tell us that. But it's possible to be free no matter the circumstance. But what that takes is that inner freedom Paul's talking about. Through Jesus, if I'll really live into the reality of who I am in him, he sets me free from the obsession to extricate myself from my current situation. And he sets me free to live well in it. Genuine freedom is not found in, in an externally ideal circumstance. Genuine freedom is found internally. It's found in the heart. In a passionate pursuit of the God who set me free. In a passionate pursuit to live out his kingdom in the place where he has me. It's an inner freedom that comes from, I, I love this saying, it's from a great Christian scholar who talked about having a simplicity of heart. That's where contentment comes from. Simplicity of heart, he says, is the ability to will one thing. You want a simple heart? Learn to will one thing. And that one thing is, is I want to please and I want to serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And if that's what my heart's about, if that's the one thing that's the kind of person that can live well no matter the circumstance they find themselves in. So if I'm content, 
then I can be genuinely free. And if I'm truly, truly free, then that's when I can really, truly live life. That's when I can bloom where I'm planted, right? Because I realize that the grass really isn't greener on the other side, but the grass is greener where I water it, right? It's greenest where I water it. I can start to make a positive use of the present, and I can live into Jim Elliott's maxim, which I love, that famous missionary who gave his life in South America, who said, wherever you are, you be all there. Be all there. Isn't that great? So if I can be content, if I can find this contentment talks about, that's when I'm genuinely free, and I'm free to truly live life, and I'm free to serve God in the place where he's put me. I, I think what Paul's saying here is profound when you get into it, especially those two meat parts. So what he's saying is profound. But I'll be the first to admit, this is not easy. I can preach this this week, this Sunday, and tomorrow. I can be griping about my circumstances, right? This is not easy. We know that. It requires daily availing myself of him. You cannot, I cannot do this on my own. And that's why verse 24 is so important. The way he wraps it up is actually very significant. So I want to read verse 24. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. I love the NIV. It's a great translation. It's my preferred translation. But nobody's perfect, and sometimes there's a phrase or something that I don't think they get right, and I think they blew it. That's a little strong. This responsible to God, the thing that I've underlined. I want to show you, literally, if you read it in the Greek, what the sentence looks like, because it's actually very significant. And here's what it says, verse 24 in the Greek. Each wherein that he was called brothers, in that let him abide with God. In that, abide with God. I think the Berean Literal Bible, and I think the King James nailed it. Each wherein that he was called brothers, in that, let him abide with God. And the King James, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein, abide with God. If you want to be able to live in this reality, you've got to abide with him daily. You've got to drill down into him. As one commentator said, you have to live in that place with God continually at your side. You've got to hang on to him desperately, right? And I want to tell you, Paul's not just blowing smoke. He knows of what he talks about, okay? He's lived it. And we know that, um, that he had applied this to his life because we read this in Philippians 4, where he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether in chains or enslaved on a ship being taken to Rome or imprisoned in Philippi or being beaten in Lystra and Derby and thrown out to die, right? He says, I have learned in every situation, every situation to be content. I know that secret. And he concludes by saying, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And because he knows that, that is why he says at the very end of this, the very end, is he says, you've got to live in that situation, abiding with God. You've got to stick close to him because the strength you need to do that is only found in him. When, when we were reading Acts, were you not amazed like those last three, four chapters as Paul, you know, he gets beaten up by the Jews, he gets arrested, all this stuff's going on. He's like two or three years in prison in Caesarea on this ship that is doomed, and it's in storms for like two months. Everybody thinks they're gonna die. 
I was so amazed as we read that, that the person who had the coolest head in the whole situation the whole time, the one person who seemed to be living in control when nobody else was, was Paul. And you know why? It's because he was a man who was content and who was internally free in Jesus, and he could live life and serve God no matter the circumstance. He lived the reality of this out. So I just want to challenge you to daily appropriate what God offers, the strength. All right. I think we all find ourselves in situations or circumstances like that are challenging, that we don't like. I think many of us find ourselves in situations that are totally out of our control, right? If we were to be honest, if we were all to share, we've all got something. Um, there are probably people in here this morning who uh, you're not happy with the marriage that you find yourself in, or you don't like the job that you're in. You don't like your neighborhood. You've got a tough neighbor who is constantly causing conflict and issues. Don't like the neighborhood. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship with a friend or struggling, struggling with a sibling or a parent or parent with a child. Back to the job. Maybe you feel stuck in a job that you really never wanted to be in or you're stuck in a position in that job that you really didn't want to be in or once you got in it and you thought you'd like it, you found out it wasn't what you wanted. Maybe you're stuck in Emporia. I don't know. Maybe somebody feels stuck in Emporia. Maybe somebody in here feels stuck in a church. I hope not. Could be, right? I think some of us find ourselves in life situations we never asked for. Maybe unmarried and single. Never asked for that, but we're still there. Maybe childless. Never asked for that. Maybe abandoned by a spouse. Never asked for that. Some kind of illness, something chronic. No control. Never ask for that. Aging. I feel like I'm aging. <laughs> Life season. Maybe empty nest. Maybe small children and you're exhausted. I don't know. But I think the reality is, is many people live fruitless lives in their current situations because they're not internally free. And their whole life is obsessing just to get out of places where they find themselves. They live lives of internal bondage. So I love Oswald Chambers who says, I have to get to the point of the absolute and unquestionable relationship that takes everything exactly as it comes from him. God never guides us at some point, sometime in the future, but always here and now. Realize that the Lord is here now and the freedom you receive is immediate. Man, if you'll just realize the Lord is in you and he's with you, the freedom in that place, it's immediate. So, I'm curious, because we've all got a one at least, right? If, if I want you to think for a minute. What's that one thing you are in that you really struggle with, that you're most pushing against, striving against, you're just, just dying to get out of it? Take a minute and think about that. What's, what's that one thing for you? Whatever that thing is, Paul is calling all of us to a new attitude toward that situation to see it with new eyes. And here's what he's saying in this text. Live the life set before you, the life you have, not the life that you wish you had. Don't allow the people or the situation around you to dictate your heart's attitude. I think in this text, Paul's calling us 
don't be a thermometer that simply reads the temperature of what's around you and that sets your temperature, but you be the thermostat who sets the temperature of the place where you're at. Could you imagine if we lived that way to where we were the thermostat of where we were and we were the ones who set the temperature of where we find ourselves? You can either wilt and wither in a place you're at or you can bloom and blossom, right? And I think as God's people and as children of God, ones who've been set free by by Jesus and who have him living in our hearts as our Lord and Savior, that we're the kind of people who should be blooming and blossoming. Is that not right? I know it's hard. That's the kind of people we should be. So can I pray for us? Father, I pray for us. This is, all of us find ourselves in life situations we never asked for, or maybe it's something we sought, and once we got there, we realized we really didn't want it, or it wasn't what we thought it was. But Lord, I love how Paul in this text is calling this like, like just, just don't be obsessed with getting out of that. Be willing to stay where you are. Look at the heart. Be a person who lives in who you are in Jesus. So I pray that you would help all of us to be that kind of people. Father, if this church, if we were that kind of people, I just imagine the impact we would have on the places we work and our neighborhoods and our marriages and I mean all the things and that if people could just see us and be like, what is it about those people that they're just so wired differently, they find purpose in the place they are no matter how hard it is. Just may, may you make us that kind of people. Lord, it's not easy. We're just so dependent upon you. And so help us to stay close to you, to walk with you, to abide with you no matter where we find ourselves in this life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 12th Avenue, today, I want to send you out into Emporia and into your life and into those circumstances to live as free people in Jesus who are content, who are truly set free, who can live their life and serve God in that place. So let us be that kind of people. Can we say an amen to that? Amen. All right, 12th, your sentence.